couple weeks ago, I shared a teaching on grace, on the finished work of Jesus. Jesus did it all. The work's done. Like Kathy was saying, it's all about rest. She did know that much. She knows that, she knows that I'm sharing on rest. But Jesus did his work in full. He paid the price once and for all. Now, we all know that. It makes sense. Jesus died on the cross many, many years ago, once and for all. But so often in this life that we live, in this world that we live in, it's as if we think we need to do our part. We need to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And it becomes almost a works mentality to get, to receive to, to be in that position of, of saying, okay, God, I know that's mine, but how do I get it to me? So that's what we're talking about now. We're talking about resting in the finished work that is more than enough. So on the top of your handout, if you didn't get a handout, they're on the little round table back there. Is there anybody that doesn't have one? And we'll run and get them and bring them to you. Um, uh, yeah, raise your hand if you don't have one. We're just going to take a quick peek. Looks like just Alice. Okay. Just Alice. <laughs> um, at the very top of that um, sheet, there is a, a quote. The quote I shared last week, and it's just, I'm going to keep sharing it as I share this series. It's from Fran McCarthy, the late Fran McCarthy, Pastor Tim's beautiful late wife. And she spoke this prophetic word. It's been years now, but it really impacted me. And I wrote it down and I remembered it. God was speaking through her to us. And I believe this word is for us right now. And the word is, when you work, I rest. But when you rest, that's when I can work. So we're going to talk about entering into that rest tonight. I'm going to start with a really quick review. Um, I'm going to share Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. All of chapter 4 in Hebrews is talking about the Israelites and how when they, when they were in that 40 years in the wilderness, God didn't want them to be there for 40 years. He had a promised land all prepared for them. It was theirs. And yet they didn't enter because their focus wasn't on the promised land. Their focus was on everything, all of the problems and all of the burdens that they were in the midst of. And the Bible says, and you're going to even see it in this scripture, that there was disobedience. The disobedience was really unbelief. That's our first and foremost um, command by God is to believe, just simply to believe. And they didn't believe. So they didn't enter the rest. And that's what this is referring to. But it says in this scripture that there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. So even though the Israelites didn't enter the rest... It was their potential, and it's still our potential. We are the people of God. And it says right here that there remains for us a rest. For he who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So there is a connection between entering his rest and ceasing from our works. And that's what Kathy was giving us that introduction at, in the beginning of the meeting. When we rest from works and put our, our face, fix our eyes on Jesus, that's when we can enter into that place of resting in his finished work. But then this next part's a little bit confusing because it says, let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience that the Israelites fell into. So it says to be diligent to enter the rest. It almost says work hard to enter the rest. Well, that is, that is uh, it sounds a little confusing. It sounds like a contradiction, but this is what it means. There is a place where we're to work hard. The place where we're to work hard is in completely trusting God. Completely being dependent instead of independent. And completely yielding to him and his word and his promises. That's our place to be diligent. That's our place to work, to exert ourselves. It's in trusting him. Not ourselves, but him. 
So last week, I shared the first part, part one. And if you weren't here last week and you would like to hear it, these are always on our website. Our website is JesusChristHealsToday.com. There's cards over there if you just want to grab a card so you don't have to write it down. You can also get to it through the church website. But the first practical, um, practical, I guess, strategy, although I don't really like that word, the first practical part of the teaching that I gave last week to enter that rest is to develop a relationship, to pursue God. Because when you come into a personal relationship with God and you come into that place where you come to know him, it's, it's not hard. The Bible says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Seek him and you will find him. So when we just show up, he meets us right where we're at. And, and in that place, we come to know him. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. But that's where trust is birthed in a relationship. I love this quote. It's from the book, The Shack, um, written in the novel. It was a movie form about a year ago, but it was written as a novel probably about 10 years ago. It's a beautiful novel. It's a story, but it's a beautiful one. And the quote is, trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you are loved. So our part to be diligent to enter that rest is to completely trust God. So the first beautiful key, the first beautiful tool to enter into that rest is to develop a relationship with God, a place where you can trust him. So today we're going to be talking about the second practical piece of entering into that rest and it's being transformed into a new person being transformed from that old person that controlling person that person who works 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 to accomplish whatever it is not just in the spiritual realm but even in your life in your home in your job with your children as a parent and instead of being a works mentality person God wants us to do something different he wants us to enter into this rest by being transformed, by being made new. Today, I had a really beautiful opportunity to, um, to do an interview, Skype, a Skype interview with TBN in the UK. And this is an, it's just a fun story. There's a woman there named Kate Nicholas who found our website when she was in the middle of a really bad season of her life where she had stage four cancer. And Kate was a woman that was a control freak. She was a woman that was a type A personality that could do everything and achieve everything and overcome everything and reach every goal until she was diagnosed with cancer. Sounds a lot like my story. But anyway, she found our website in the midst of that and Against all odds, she is completely healed, completely whole. Yeah. Yay, God. Yay, God. Her story's amazing. But anyway, um, she went uh, and she wrote a beautiful story about the transformation of her life and how she went from that other kind of person to a transformed person because of Jesus. And she was doing an interview with her new book with TBN. She lives in the UK, so she was doing an interview with TBN. And after her interview, they were very moved. And they wanted her to do a whole series. Instead of her being interviewed, they wanted her to do 12 shows about living a transformed life. So today, I was able to do one of them with her. Yeah, via Skype. It was awesome. And the topic was trust. So here I am. That's what I was telling Mary Lou as we drove here. God is so good. I didn't plan all that. But this, the, this show was called Living a Transformed Life. And today that's what I'm teaching about. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And before we start, we are going to stand up. And we are going to worship. And guess what song we're going to be singing? The same one that Kathy referred to. So let's stand up. We are going to put our focus on the promises of God and have confidence in his faithfulness. So let's just worship our God. He says, yes, they've been fulfilled. Jesus did the work. It's a done deal. There are a whole lot of promises in this word. So many promises. This is a healing class. 
and we look at healing promises, the accounts of Jesus healing. And he says that everything has been fulfilled through Christ Jesus. And his answer is always yes. Our part is to say amen. And that amen means we agree with you, God. That amen means so be it. So be it done unto me according to your word, God. That song, it, the, the line, I, I was going to end it early during that free worship time. And it was like, oh no, we just need to soak in this and repeat it over and over and over. I will rest in his promises. And my confidence is in his faithfulness. I will rest in his promises. And my confidence is in his faithfulness. It's not in ourselves. It's so much easier when you don't have to do it. It just takes all of the hard part away. He did the hard part. So today we're going to talk about resting in his promises. We're going to use a scripture as our foundational scripture. I love it. I say that every week. I know. I do though. It's Romans 12 too. It's on your sheet. It's going to be on the screen. The scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I'm going to just park here for a minute and take this scripture and Father, I pray that you just breathe your life into it as I, as I take the time to, to teach what this word tells us. So the first part says, God's speaking to us. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Notice the word conformed and transformed both have the root formed, but they're very different. Conformed means pressed into the mold of the world. Looking like the world looks. Think about, we're in a healing class. Think about what the world typically does when they get a bad report. I don't want to be in that mold. That mold that goes from doctor to doctor, from computer research to book research to people research, talking to everybody and anybody, doing your best to strive to work to figure out the problem that there may be no answer to. That's where I was 16 years ago. And that's why I turned to God because there was no other answer. It was death or God had to heal me because there was no other option. Well, I picked option B. I picked God. I didn't conform to the world. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Believe me, I didn't know what I was doing. But I, I started seeking God and everything else God took care of. So God says, don't be pressed into the mold of the world, but instead be transformed. That word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. It's the same word that our word metamorphosis comes from. And we know what that means. That's an easy one. It's when a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, when a tadpole changes into a frog. They're completely different, completely. They have completely changed forms. And that's what God says will happen to us. We will change from one form into a completely new form. Today, Kim, you blessed me so much when you walked in. Because she told me, she's only been at one meeting. This is her second one. And she gave me a big hug and she said, I've been transformed. That's the exact word she used. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For that word to even come out of your mouth, Kim, God's doing something in there. You are in the process of being transformed. And my prayer is that that's for all of us. That's for everybody that, that my heart is to love God and to love his people. And there's no better way than I can love his people. <sighs> Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, God. Wow. And that's what it's all about. His love does that to you. It does it to you. That's just what happens when I was doing the interview today. That's what I shared. I said, I didn't plan it. I didn't know what I was doing. But I was transformed. And it was all God. 
So that's what he wants. He wants us to change from one form completely to another. And then he gives us the how-to. By the renewing of your mind. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Renewing our mind. That word renewing can also be translated renovate or remodel. Now, right now, we are in the process of getting quotes to do a, a major remodel in our house of uh, putting in new tile. But the area of my house that we need new tile in is really big because it's the main part of our main level of our house. So it's uh, uh, ha- lots of halls, a foyer, a uh, half bath, a uh, kitchen and eating area, more hall, um, a pantry, a walk-in pantry, a laundry room, and another walk-in coat closet. It's a lot of tile. And Kent keeps warning me what a huge mess it's going to be. Because we can, before we can put that new tile in, we have to demolish the old. They have to break it all out. They have to take out all the cement underneath, get all the way down to the plywood, and then start over. That's exactly what God says will transform us. It's to renovate your heart and your mind. But before you can be renovated with that amazing, beautiful, powerful word of God, we often need to demolish old mindsets. Lies of the enemy are a big deal. Lies, the enemy likes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his job description. And lies is one of the big ways he does it. I'm going to give you an example, and you can probably all relate with this example. The example is the prayer if it be your will, in regards to healing. Many of us have been prayed over like that. Many of us have prayed that prayer. God, if it be, that's the way I prayed when I was diagnosed with cancer. God, if it be your will, heal my body. But if it's not your will, help me to endure or whatever. I don't even remember. All I know is it was a lie. And the reason I know it's a lie is because I can see in the word of God That it is his will to heal. That's another teaching. But just look at Jesus. If nothing else, just look at Jesus. Jesus did not tell people that they were going to die for some purpose. He healed them. Jesus healed. He didn't kill. He didn't give people sickness. He didn't let people die. He healed. And there's a lot more evidence than that. But that's just one nugget of evidence. But the bottom line is, it is God's will to heal. So to pray, God, if it be your will, heal me, you're buying a lie of the enemy. So there's a mindset that needs to be demolished and replaced with the truth that it is God's will to heal, with scriptural truth, with pieces of promise, not pieces, with many promises that it is God's will to heal and then rest in those promises. So renewing your mind involves getting rid of lies And many times those lies have to be exposed. I do a lot of exposing of lies in here. Because until you need to get those lies up and exposed so that you can replace them with truth. I'm going to be telling you some lies today that I want exposed. So renovation, renewing your mind. And we're going to, we're going to, this is a practical teaching. So I'm going to share what that looks like, how to renew your mind. But then I want to go on to the end of the scripture and it says that... Or you could put a so before that. So that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove means to test and examine. And this is what we're using to test and examine. We're using the word. We're using the promises. To test and examine what you're, what you're learning about. To test and examine it with the word. Not with what people say. Not with what you see in in the world or experience, but test it with the word. And then you will see that it is genuine. And that's how you prove. And then the will of God comes to life. You will prove it. You will test it. You will examine it. And you will see that it is true. And that's how you prove that that perfect will is is his perfect will, and it's for you. Okay. Now, before I give... This this teaching has several pieces before I get to the practical part. And one thing I need to teach right now, two important words, logos and rhema. 
because we're going to be talking a lot about letting our minds be renewed with the word. There are two words, logos and rhema, that both refer to the word of God. A logos word is every single written word of God. Hundreds and thousands of words of God, written words of God. They are all logos. Notice that the word logos sounds very much like the word logic. It's the same root. It's the same root. So when we talk about logos word, we are talking about studying the Bible. Logically. Many of us go to Bible studies. Many of us study our Bible at home. And that's a good thing. I, right now, since I've been in Israel, I've been reading the Bible differently. I've been learning more about the history and the timeline, the geography, and it's, it's really exciting, and I love it. But studying the Bible on its own, without rhema, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, will not result in a transformed life. It will result in good knowledge and good understanding, but it will not result in a transformed life. Think about people that maybe you know who are very, very um, um, well uh, versed in the Bible, but their lives aren't transformed. This is what a transformed life looks like in general. A life where all of a sudden you're crazy in love with God and you know he's crazy in love with you. Where you have joy when it doesn't make sense. Where you can walk in peace through the storm where you're seeing Jesus' purpose, which is living a life of abundance. Even if you don't have anything, you still are living a life with a smile on your face and abundance and joy. That's a transformed life. But I have seen people who know the Bible inside out and backwards, but their lives aren't transformed. So that's logos. Rhema is also a word of God. But it is a word that God has breathed on. He has spoken it and revealed it to your heart. It's not just understanding and gaining knowledge. It's a word that has moved from that place. Many times it starts here. But then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper until it is all yours. Nobody can take it from you. It's part of who you are. It has been revealed to your heart. The cool thing about a rhema word, and this is really good for Cindy, who's an elementary teacher, used to be anyway, and I'm very childlike and very simple, but this is awesome. You don't have to understand a word to believe it. You don't have to understand it. Believe me, when they started to tell me these amazing promises that it was God's will to heal, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how that promise could move me from death to life, from stage four cancer to sitting here, standing here right now, 16 years later, being a a minister of healing. I had no idea. Believe me, I didn't understand it. Couldn't even begin to understand it. You don't have to understand it. When God puts it in your heart, it's yours. You don't have to understand it. Now, I want to share four ways that word can become rhema. There are a lot more than four ways, but I think this will help you to kind of get a picture of how word becomes rhema. The first word that God can reveal a word to your heart, There's, this isn't on your, on your paper. The first way is through reading the Bible. You're just doing your, your daily reading. I love to read the Bible, so I read it every day. So I, I'm reading my Bible, and I usually read, and this is just Cindy, I usually read one Old Testament chapter and one New Testament chapter. So as I'm reading it, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, God, that's just what I needed today. This is exactly what I've been thinking about. And God, you put it right here in this page that I was going to read anyway. It's almost like he's just ministering to me, loving on me. That's rhema. It's right from the Bible, and God is just ministering to you and revealing his heart to you in the midst of your Bible reading. That's one way that God can reveal rhema to you. The second way is not even in the Bible, but God can just speak to your heart. Many times for me, it's in the form of encouragement or just loving on me or just showing me that he cares. Sometimes it's a little word. Sometimes it's just something that I sense or feel. But 
he speaks to you right to your heart as well. A third way that he often speaks to us is through somebody else. And I love when he does this because usually it's repeated two or three or four times. Just like Kathy spoke a lot of the things that I'm going to be teaching. That is Rama. God wants you to hear it. So he's showing you that his Holy Spirit is speaking to Kathy and through Kathy and to me and through me. And then it goes into your heart. So he often speaks to you through an anointed message from the Holy Spirit. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. It might be just a friend you're chatting with on the phone. It might be a song. That happens to me a lot because I love music. Many times when I'm worshiping, it's like, oh, God, that's just what I needed. But whatever it is, God can speak to you through those kinds of things. The fourth way, and this is what we're really going to focus on today, the fourth way that God can breathe life into his word is through meditating on his word. It's called biblical meditation. I'm going to show you and kind of give you a picture of what that looks like. Biblical meditation often results in the the word, the rhema word, getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So at first, it might not be deep. But the more you meditate on the word, the deeper it gets. It's almost like, and I'm going to use this analogy In fact, I'm going to do it right now. It's almost like becoming pregnant. We're at first, and we're talking about, we're talking about becoming pregnant with the promise, becoming pregnant with the word of God. At first, the seed, the word is the seed, the seed comes into your heart. Then there's conception. First, you have to receive the word And then you can conceive it. It joins with your spirit. The spirit of God joins with your spirit and there's conception. But then that promise needs incubation. Just like when a woman is pregnant, the woman doesn't get pregnant and then have the baby the next day. She gets pregnant and then the the baby is safe and sound in that mama's womb. And it's tenderly cared for, safe and sound, fed and nourished and kept warm and loved. And it grows 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 grows until it's ready to be delivered. That's what happens with the promises of God. When we meditate on the promises, as we meditate on it, as we feed that promise and water it and take care of it, it gets firmer and firmer and stronger and stronger and stronger until that promise is delivered. So I would like you right now to look at the chart that's on your paper because I want to compare study and biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is our focus, but I want to show you the very big difference between the two. So the first line of the chart says that study is endorsed in scripture just one time. And I'm going to read you that scripture. This is 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So there's the one time in the Bible when it talks about studying the word. Now, I will say that when I prepare teachings for you guys, I study the word, but it's way more than just studying the word because I'm not doing it by myself. I'm doing it with the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that as we go through this chart. So study is only mentioned one time in scripture, but meditation is endorsed 18 times in scripture. I'm going to be sharing one of those in a minute. Study is me in action by myself, just me. Another name for that is humanism. I'm going to define humanism for you. Humanism is life that is centered on human interests and values. And humanism rejects the supernatural. In a true humanistic frame of mind or belief, you don't believe in the supernatural. Study is just you. But meditation is God in action with you. So when I'm studying and preparing 
oh, Holy Spirit's all over it. I mean, it's like he's just showing me things all over and revealing scriptures to me and bringing things to my remembrance and connecting things. And I mean, it's, it's certainly not just me. The next line of the chart says, study is me using reason, rationalism, relying on your own thinking, your own processing, your own work. But meditation is God granting me revelation through my heart and mind because it's yielded to him. Remember, we were talking about our part in being diligent to enter the rest. Part of it is being yielded to God. The next line of the chart. Study gives me reasoned knowledge and meditation gives me revelation knowledge. Study results in wisdom from below earthly knowledge, natural knowledge, and even possibly demonic knowledge. Think about the people that are studying every kind of spiritualism out there, not just Christianity, but every kind of spiritualism. There are a lot of them that are part of the occult. They sound really nice. They're very... um, appealing to the mind and to the senses. Well, what you're doing literally is getting wisdom from the demonic. But meditation, biblical meditation, results in wisdom from above. Wisdom that is pure, peaceable, and gentle. That's right from scripture, James 3.17. Study, when you study scripture, it often remains logos. It doesn't come to life. God's not breathing on it. And you may increase in knowledge and and understanding, but you're not transformed. But meditation on scripture becomes rhema through biblical meditation, and the result is transformation. So let's look at a scripture about meditation. This is Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But, but, this changes everything. But they delight in the law of the Lord. And whenever you see that word law, I like to put the word word. They delight in the word of the Lord. Meditating on it, day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, Bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Biblical meditation results in having deep roots, firm roots, like becoming that woman who's pregnant and incubating that precious baby. And it's growing healthy and strong. The word that, is, that we're pregnant with is growing deeper and deeper and stronger and firmer. And it produces fruitfulness. And we prosper in all that we do in the midst of this biblical meditation. So, here's where I'm going to reveal some of the enemy's lies. And then we're going to look at the amazing truth and and a practical way to meditate on God's word. So here are three lies. These are very, very common. The first twist that the enemy has done with meditation is called worry. We are pretty good at it in the world. This is one of those being pressed into the mold of the world. This is what the world does. When there's an issue of any kind, our first uh, uh, response is to start to think about it, think about it, process it, think about it some more. That's called worry. You're focusing on it. You're pondering it. You're mulling it around. And very, very often that worry has a very negative result. Very often that worry maybe escalates into fear. And that fear may even escalate into uh, anxiety or panic type of feelings in your body. It may even escalate into physical issues. And as you receive that thing that you're worrying about, you, you may end up with what it is that you were worrying about that wasn't even real. You know, it just is a snowball effect. It's the enemy's twist on meditation. It's called worrying. God has a way better way. 
We are going to minister to that tonight, by the way. We are going to minister to worry and to fear and to anxiety. I get mad. (laughs) I get mad when the enemy has that kind of hold on us. He has no legal right to it, and we're just going to tell it to go. So that's the first enemy's twist. Here's the second one. Spiritual meditation. It's very popular in the world right now. It often goes hand in hand with um, some of the relaxation techniques, um, um, some of the kinds of exercises that are out there. And there is a spiritual component to it. When I was a teacher, um, some of the teachers were doing this in the classroom. And I had a fit. (laughs) And I went to my principal and I sat down with um, evidence of why that was very dangerous for our children. Because what you do when you empty your mind and do this spiritual meditation is you are opening yourself again to the demonic realm, to familiar spirits instead of the Holy Spirit of God. It's very dangerous. And it's very popular. It's out there all over the place. It's another twist that the enemy has on meditation. Here's the third one. And this one's very subtle and very close to home, at least to me. And that is when we take something that's really good, like the healing promises of God. I'm going to be talking about these in a minute. These are little booklets that are filled with promises right from the Bible that have been taken out. They're all about healing. And they've been put in these little books for us to have a resource with the promises of God right here that we can have with us in our purse or our pocket or wherever we go and we can get it out whenever we have an opportunity to, to meditate on the word. But the, the twist, the enemy's twist, is that it can become something that you are doing to try to get God to heal you. Well, if I say this, because it says in here to do it three times a day. So if I do this three times a day, if I take my medicine, it says God's medicine. If I take my medicine three times a day, then I'm going to get healed, just as if I was taking chemo. It's going to do it. I know it will. I'm just going to take my medicine. Three, and, you, and then you, it's, it's not even part of your heart. It's just this, this thing that you're doing repetitively. It's God's word, and it's awesome. But remember when I said logos doesn't transform your life? That's kind of what it is if you're just repeating it over and over and over. That's not biblical meditation. That's just repetition. And that's one of the lies that's out there. And... And I often give these books to people and share them and how powerful they are. I do that. This book saved my life. This one. Because this is the one my friend gave me. This is the one where the promises of God, I received them, I conceived them, I got really pregnant, big and pregnant, and I delivered a miracle of healing. So I don't want you to think they're bad. They're not. But I want to teach you the difference between logos and rhema, between just repeating them and meditating on them. So I want to share a scripture with you, and it's the same one that Kathy shared. Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, And the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Now, that's the amplified translation, so it has lots of words. But the reason I wanted to use this translation is because I really want to focus on the second half of the scripture, where it says, the evidence. Faith is the evidence or the proof of things not seen. In this world, again, the world's view, being conformed to the world, what the world does is they go by their senses. They go by what they see, what they feel, what they hear. They go by their senses. You hear that doctor's report? You take it, you receive it. You feel the symptoms in your body? You take it, you receive it, you try to figure it out and make it better. We go by our senses. That's the world's view. That's being pressed into the mold. That's being conformed to the world. But this scripture gives us a whole different way. 
This scripture says that faith comprehends as fact, and I, I would, if I was writing that word, I would put truth instead of fact. Faith comprehends as truth what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Faith is conviction in your heart, knowing that you know that you know that you know that God's promise is more real than the doctor's report, that God's promise is so much bigger than any symptom or anything that's going on in your body or in your life. God's promises, his truth supersedes facts. So we have the world thing with the five senses, but what I want to share right now are five more senses. These five senses are spiritual senses. And as I talk about each one of these five senses, I think you're going to get a picture of biblical meditation, and I'm going to connect them. So you're going to see what biblical meditation looks like, feels like, sounds like. So the first sense of the heart that I want to talk about are the ears of the heart. Listen to the scripture. This is Proverbs 4.20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. When we use the ears of our heart, we are offering God our attention. We are offering him our best. We are putting our heart in this place where we are 100% attentive, listening carefully, inclining our ear, paying attention as we read the word. So as you take either one of these little prayer books or as you're reading the Bible, your attention is here. It's not a speed reading course. Because when your attention is here, you are just focused on what God is speaking to you. You're savoring it. You're reading it carefully. You're, I read it out loud. I read it out loud and I let my physical ears and the ears of my heart be fully tuned in. Now, you guys know what I mean. You can read and not even think about what you're reading. You could do these scriptures three times a day and not even know what you've said. God says, no, meditation means give me your full attention. So that's the first sense of the heart that I want to talk about. The second one are the eyes of your heart. Again, these are spiritual senses, not your natural eyes, but the eyes of your heart. Listen to this scripture. It's Ephesians 1.18. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit. I pray that for you guys a lot, that the eyes of your heart will be open. Kathy, you prayed this. This is one of the things you prayed. God, allow our eyes of our heart, our ears to be attentive, to receive what you would have us to receive. So when we, when we offer God the eyes of our heart, we're offering him our vision, our spiritual vision. God has given us this gift of imagination, this gift of envisioning. And we can apply that as we meditate on his word. We can, and this is powerful, see yourself the way God sees you. Whatever you're reading, put yourself in that scripture. Put yourself in that story. Put yourself in that account. Put yourself in that exhortation or whatever it is that's in that word. Make it personal. Put your own name in there, your own situation in there. And even use your imagination to see yourself. Close your eyes and see yourself in that story or in that picture. Maybe you're reading this uh, healing accounts, bunch of healing accounts where Jesus was out there healing. Put yourself in that place. The woman with the issue of blood. Praying, say, God, if I can only touch the hem of your garment, I know that I shall be healed. Jesus, you did it all. I know it's a finished work, and I'm just reaching out. I'm coming to the throne of your grace, where you give mercy and you provide grace. I'm right here, God, and I know. And just see yourself as that woman with the issue of blood reaching out and touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Maybe you're reading the story of the man with the withered hand who reaches out his hand. Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and his hand is completely transformed and, and healed. And you see yourself with your need. Maybe you have a knee that is uh, um, 
deformed or with arthritis or fingers that are deformed and you say, God, I stretch out my hand and I just see it healed and envision it, see it done. Maybe the, 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 my favorite scriptures for seeing cancer healed are the ones about leprosy. And there's two or three different accounts of leprosy where Jesus healed. So see yourself as that person with leprosy and Jesus touched them and they became clean. I love the one where the man, the leper, the leprous man asked Jesus, Jesus, if it's your will, cleanse me. And Jesus says, it is my will. Be cleansed. And that man was healed of leprosy. So whatever that story, put yourself in it, envision yourself. You're using the eyes of your heart. You can also envision yourself in the calling of your life or that your future. See yourself with that, with your dream, with your heart's desire, because God partners with that. God partners with the desires of your heart and your dreams. See yourself. See you going to your children's weddings, seeing your children's having children. When I was diagnosed with cancer and I got that phone call, the first thing I said, I was 43, none of my kids were married, and the first thing I said was, God, I want to be a grandma. I want to be a grandma someday. Well, I am a grandma. (laughs) Yes, my dream has been fulfilled of being a grandma. Envision those dreams. Envision those things. Use the eyes of your heart. That's part of biblical meditation. The next sense of your heart is the mind of your heart. Proverbs 4.21 says, don't lose sight of them. And it's referring to God's promises or God's word. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep in your heart. So when we use the mind of our heart, we are making a choice to take those things that God has revealed to you, those promises that he's given to you, whether they're from a scripture you've read or a word in one of these little prayer books, take them and ponder them through the day. Many scriptures say day and night meditate on the word. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, ponder those words, think about those words, focus your attention on those words again. One of the um, beautiful, well, it's not beautiful. One of the examples of meditating, it's not beautiful at all, is a cow and his cud. (laughs) And the example is when a cow eats grass, they eat the grass, they swallow it. And then they bring it back up. I'm saying it nicely. They chew it again and they swallow it. And then they bring it up again. They chew it and they swallow it. That's exactly what I'm talking about with using the mind of your heart. It's constantly pondering that word that God's given you, that promise that he's given you. Keep focusing on it. Keep thinking about it. Keep speaking it out loud. The next sense of the heart that I want to talk about is the will of your heart. The will of your heart. God has given us a free will. And this is how we use the will of our heart. We choose. We choose to fully receive and act upon the promises that God has given you. How do you do that? Well, you say it, first of all. You say, God, I choose to receive this. I choose, this word is my word, God. I take this word. I receive this word and continue to stand on it. Continue to stand on it. Don't let it go. Hold on to it like a life preserver. Don't let it go. I want to give you an example. This is my, one of my favorite examples that happened to me. And this was, um, in that same season of my life when I had the mass in my neck. I told you guys this story last week. And all was well. God took care of me like he always did. I did have to defend my healing. The enemy tried to steal it. But I stood on God's word. I said, I literally said, God, I believe your report is the final report. I believe your report over all the doctor's reports. And I did have surgery on my neck. And I did have my thyroid removed, but there was no cancer. And I am completely very, very well, very, very strong. But after that happened, the devil tried another trick. He tried to steal my voice. After I had the surgery, I had, no, I had very little voice. My voice was very, very compromised. And I couldn't sing at all. I love to sing. 
I couldn't sing at all. I did continue to teach. I never stopped teaching. But my voice was very monotone, and I had no inflection in my voice. So I had the passion that was in here, I couldn't get out of here. And it was really, really hard. And then, you know how people are. I had many, many people say, oh, Aunt so-and-so had thyroid surgery, and she never got her voice back. And Aunt so-and-so, you know. And I kept hearing that kind of stuff all over, all over the place. And I kept putting that under the blood and saying, oh, no, I'm not receiving that. This is what I'm receiving, God. So this is the word he gave me. This is the rhema word. I was just reading the Bible. This word spoke to my heart. It's Psalm 27, verse 6. And this was just for Cindy. The scripture says, And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. And in his tent I will offer sacrifices and shouting of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So I had that word. And it was like, God, that's my promise. In the scripture, God said, Cindy, your head will be lifted above your enemies. The enemy's trying to steal your voice, but you are above and not beneath. You are above your enemy. And then the next part says, in his tent, another word is for, for tent is tabernacle. In his tabernacle, I will sing. I will offer sacrifices and shoutings of joy and sings of, singing of praises. Well, I'm his tabernacle. The Bible says that. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I made a choice. I was using the will of my heart. And I made a choice to act on that scripture. So I did a number of things. First of all, I took that scripture, I put it on a card, and I meditated it. I spoke it out loud. I let it get deeper and deeper. I incubated that promise. God had given me the promise. I conceived it, and I chose to feed it and feed it and feed it. But then I, I went above that. I took that literally, and I went in my bedroom, and I closed the door, and I turned praise music on really loud, and I did my best to shout to the Lord and sing to the Lord. And it was pitiful. It sounded awful. And it broke my heart because I wanted to praise him with all my heart. And I just couldn't do it. But I tried anyway. And the Bible says that, that um, make joyful noises. So I guess that's what I was doing because it was awful. It sounded awful. And I put the music so loud that nobody could hear me. Ken couldn't hear me. I couldn't even hear myself. But I did it. And in my Bible... I have, I write in my Bible a lot, and I have that, that highlighted, and then I have two dates. The first date is 7-12-10, July 12th, 2010. That was about two weeks after the surgery, and that's when I had no voice. And then I wrote my proclamation, and this is what I wrote. Thyroid surgery, complete restoration of voice to teach and preach and sing praises unto God. I didn't have it, but I believed it. That was my promise. And then I have another date. And it says, completed. Two of 2011. February of 2011, my voice was completely restored. That was taking a promise and choosing to stand on that promise for six months. Choosing to go into my bedroom and shut the door and praise God when I couldn't praise him for six months. But that promise was realized, and I have a voice to teach and to preach and to sing praises unto my Lord. That's using the will of your heart and meditating and taking action if God gives you an action to take. The last uh, um, senses of your heart is the emotions of your heart. As you Focus your attention, the ears of your heart. As you open your eyes and envision that word becoming yours. As you um, use the mind of your heart and ponder and continue to focus on that word. And as you use the will of your heart and make a choice to continue to stand on that word and take action. This thing called emotion stirs. Kathy, you talked about it. You talked about the joy the anticipation. Something grows. It's like a woman who, when she's first pregnant, doesn't usually tell a whole lot of people. Nobody can see it because she doesn't yet look pregnant. But the closer she gets, the closer she gets, the closer she gets. She's so excited. And she can't keep it a secret. 
There's just a joy that rises up, and she can't wait to have that baby. That's what happens as this meditation process goes on. And then I love to, this is, this is, oh, this is so awesome. A victory cry rises up. A victory cry. First, there's peace, which is awesome. Then there's joy and excitement, and there's victory. And that all comes before you even see the promise. It's amazing. That's meditation on the word of God. That's taking his word, and it changes everything. You can't not be crazy about God when you experience those kinds of things in your life. It's transformation. Everything about life is different. The little things, the huge things. It doesn't have to be a life and death situation for it to be amazing. Listen to this scripture, John 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Abide in his word. Meditate on his word. Let that word stir in you. You don't have to make a formula of it. Whatever God is leading you to do that day, do it. And that word is discipling you. Jesus is your disciple. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's teaching you. The word is teaching you. The word is transforming you. The word is renewing you. The word is remodeling you. I want to share one more story from the Bible. And then we're going to get ready to minister. Mary, the mother of Jesus. When she was about 12 or 13 years old, Angel Gabriel came to her in the city of Nazareth. And he invited her to be the mother of the Messiah. The Jewish people had been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when the angel Gabriel came to this young girl and said, you are the one that I've chosen, you're going to become pregnant with the seed of God. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. Do you think she understood? There's no way how the vast promise of the Messiah that they've been waiting for for years and hundreds and hundreds of years could be conceived in her womb when she hadn't even known a man. There's no way she could understand it. The angel Gabriel said to her, for with God, nothing will be impossible. The word nothing in that scripture isn't what our word nothing is. That word nothing in the Greek is made up of three words. The first word is no, and the next word is thing. But the third word is rhema. The angel said, no thing, rhema, is impossible. No promise of God that has been revealed to your heart is impossible. As you meditate on that word, as you let the senses of your heart just take that word into your womb, into the the womb of your heart, it becomes real. And that is, there's no way, there's nothing impossible about that. Whether it's healing of a chronic disease or a terminal disease or or a, a need in your heart or your life, a desire to to conceive and have a baby, to be healed of something that is just you're just done with, whatever it is, that promise is yours. When it's rhema to your heart, it's yours. And it is possible. It is your promise. So I have just this beautiful list of, of mm, cause and effect. Go back to my teaching days. When we do God's direction, which is abide in his word, meditate on that word, this is what will happen. Fear will be calmed and replaced with God's peace. His rhema word will be established as a secure anchor for your faith. There will be a switch, like a light switch, a switch of faith that gets flipped on And when that switch gets flipped on, darkness goes away. And the enemy's plan is aborted. 
You are pregnant with this amazing promise of God and the enemy's plan is killed, destroyed, canceled out with the light of that promise. Your heart and your mind will be renovated and you'll be completely transformed. You'll never be the same. You'll come to know and believe that God already healed you. You don't even have to see it to know it. You will enter his rest. You'll enter that place of rest, knowing that the work is finished, knowing that Jesus did it all. And you will be in position to prove the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. Amen. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for transformed lives. I thank you for renewed minds. I thank you for the promises of your word becoming so real to us that they take precedence over whatever the doctor said, over whatever our other people have said, over whatever we feel in our body, that your promises completely supersede everything else. Father, I pray that you breathe life into your word, that you breathe life into our heart. I know your word's already alive. So I pray that you breathe life into the eyes of our heart, the ears of our heart, the mind of our heart, the will of our heart, and the emotions of our heart, that you breathe life into it. God, I thank you for what you've already accomplished. And we stand in this position right now, just ready to believe and receive whatever you have for us tonight. Have your way here tonight, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay.